the answer rate on those phone calls is radically higher. I love that. I love yeah. that. that. That's a big aha. Huge. It's a huge, if you're not doing that, it's a huge trick that will increase your pickup rate on calls. And, and that should be really logical to everybody, right? Just that alone, that's huge. You teaching that to people mm. outside your company? No, just the team. That's not even a hack. That's a, that's a strategy that's necessary. It's great, yeah. Yeah, that's huge. Welcome to the Average Suck Show, where we talk to beyond average people doing incredible things. And I got to tell you, today's show is beyond a powerful, special one. And those of you that are entrepreneurs, I'm certain you've said to yourself before, like, how do I keep my health and my business, my relationships all going at once? And our guest, Brad Weimert, I got to tell you, this guy is an absolute rock star. I heard about him 10 years before I met him, finally met him at a mastermind. I thought I pushed myself hard. This guy is incredible. Not only at one point was he the top Cutco salesperson in the world, selling door-to-door -door the most expensive knives in the world, he recently did a rim-to-rim-to-rim -rim -rim in the Grand Canyon. I live here in Arizona. Just driving to the Grand Canyon is hard enough. This is like 30 freaking miles. He'll explain the entire thing that he did, and the story is absolutely amazing. He's the founder of Easy Pay Direct, merchant processing services, work with the biggest boys in the industry names that almost every one of you have heard of. And one of the coolest parts is he's obsessed with business, obsessed with performance and obsessed with pushing the envelope from doing marketing campaigns to rent a plane to take an entire group of people to Fiji to build clientele to going out there and realizing that his business is good but it's not where it is as capable of being, always pushing the envelope, always believing average sucks. And I gotta tell you, my man, Brad Weimer, has a show for us today. So Brad, put the pressure on you. Super excited about this. We gotta hear about this rim to rim to rim, growing this huge company you have. And on top of that, I'm gonna pick your brain on some Cutco stories from the old days. Welcome, my man. Super excited about it. I think I covered most things. And do you, do you, I mean, do you know like your name came up? This is how good your marketing is. Whatever, how long ago did you sell Cutco? Oh man. Uh... 1999, okay. 2000. Okay, so in 2013, Henry, or my buddy Henry, is telling me about you a decade plus Love later, it. about you and John and everybody with Cutco. So that just shows like the sales skills, how your life skills, your sales skills, like decades later, somebody's like, you gotta meet this guy, you gotta meet this guy, based on your performance. So super excited, I wanted to jump into this. You said rim to rim to rim, like just let's start there. What, what the hell is that? Yeah, so uh, a lot of people I think uh, have done or know of rim to rim of the Grand Canyon, okay. and rim to rim is going from you just added next rim. You got it. Okay. <laughs> it's from going going from one side down and up to the other side. And do you know the miles? Kilometers? The miles one way is roughly twenty three miles. Okay. What Something. time? What time of year? Uh, we did it in September. Okay, good. Uh, which so is, it's still hot as hell out here. It's the wise time to try to do it, right? Okay. So it's we actually did it as late as we could where the water would still be on. So at some point they'd start turning the spigots off okay. because the pipes freeze. Yep. Um, so we did it as late as we could. And uh, if you do rim to rim, it's it's a hike and it's a good hike. If you do rim to rim to rim, um, it's a one day kind of intense ultra marathon. 
Okay, what's your definition of one day? Because some people think a day is 24 hours. Some people think a day is like nine to five. I have these youngsters that come and want to work here and they want to take a three-hour break in the middle of the day and their, their day is three <laughs> hours, right? But, but what, what does a day mean? Yeah, that's, that's a really good that's question. A good, that's a good one, right? <laughs> that's a really good question. Um, for us, uh, it, took, it took me about 14 hours. Okay. The, the killers, like the actual trained endurance athletes, um, will do it in like 10. Um, but, uh, what'd you do it in? 14. I consider you endurance athlete. Oh, there are. I mean, look, I'm a I'm a fledgling. If there, are, I mean, there okay. are serious competitors in that space. But uh, um, but we were basically just before sunrise to sunset. Um, and the challenge for me with that one in particular was uh, as we were as we got to the bottom. First of all, for people that don't know topography and like rock formations, which I do not. Okay. Um, I had it sounded this, like you did by saying topography. I know, right? Like it just sounded, <laughs> I was like, that's, that's a word. Like if you ever need to sound important to say top, topography, Did I say it right? Topography? Topography. Yeah. Topography. Like, dude, so, you don't know topography. Well, so I that's thought. That's a good technique. It's, I think in general, if you can throw out some good words, yeah. you know, but I thought that uh, the Grand Canyon basically had a wall on one side, a wall on the other, and then a flat bottom. And it, it was pointed out to me that that was a stupid idea because that's not how canyons form. Um, so water runs through them and you never have a flat bottom. You have a V of some sort. So in the Grand Canyon, there's a steep edge and then it gradually inclines until you get to the other steep edge to get out. Um, but that basically means that there's no flat. So you go down and then depending on which direction you go, for us, uh, we went, I think, south to north to south. So you go down, cross the river that makes the canyon or did originally and then start going up. And very shortly after I started going up, I went through this little tiny path and I had three other guys with me uh, and I was behind them. And so these branches were swinging back and hitting me in the face. So I had my arms up to cover my face. And with my arms up, uh, I took a bad step on a rock and rolled my left ankle and kind of lightly sprained it. Did you hear the crack? I also uh, rolled it into a rock and I didn't hear a crack. Uh, but I did uh, um, yelp a little bit, okay. and then I kind of hopped, and then a minute passed, and then two, then five, then ten, and I realized that, that the pain was not going to go away, uh, and I had broken a bone in my left foot. Um, so for you know the next— I didn't know this part of the story. Oh, yeah. So, for, so one direction is 23 miles, and so that was at mile 13. And so for the next 10 miles um, going up and out of the canyon— there was definitely a, a good amount of pain. Uh, and when I got to the top, um, the temperature difference in the Grand Canyon is pretty wild. So the bottom was probably 85 degrees and the top was probably 38 degrees. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and the north side, I think, is uh, about 1,000 feet higher than the south. So the differential is significant. But I sat down at the top and took my shoe off and, <laughs> and the top of my foot was just had this black spot. Um, and I kind of, I, I had been having issues with my other ankle, so I brought a little neoprene sleeve to just add some support. And so I painstakingly pulled it over my left foot, and it, I, it was sore from the, the light sprain, but I needed some other support. Put my shoe back on, and the three guys that I was with were like, all right, let's pick up some time, let's run down as fast as we can. And I was like, oh shit. And when you're in a group, it's not really productive to bitch about, in general, it's not really productive to bitch about the pain that you're having yes. if, you're, if you don't want it to participate in the outcome that you're after, right? So I didn't say anything. Uh, and we, we started to run down. And there were several problems with this. One is that it's a steep incline. So the flexion so on So you already my, injured, already did 23 miles. You got it. You already done a marathon. You, well, close through, to it. Through yep. a canyon. Yep. Close to like freaking a marathon, yes. right? Yeah. You did a marathon in the weird terrain in, in trail. Correct. 
Yep. And now you're one to the top, and now they want to run down. You got it. And Gravity against you. You got it. And running down because the A, you've got flexion in your ankle. Yes. B, which is not ideal for that sprain um, or break. And B, it's loose, right? There's It's gravelly. So you're kind of slipping as you go down, trying to stop yourself. Um, and C, you're on the edge of the fucking canyon. So yep. like it's just, it's just like you make a wrong step. There's no railing in the Grand Canyon, right? So <laughs> Or for, ambulance is ready to go. Or ambulance is ready to go, exactly. There's some donkeys, but... Uh, so the next like three miles down, my ankle is warming up again because it had cooled off and gotten stiff. And after about three miles, it warmed up, it felt a little bit better, but it wasn't until probably another eight miles. So I'm at like mile 30 before we get to flatter ground. And I realized that if I can just keep my ankle and my foot completely flat, it alleviates some of the pain. But of course, when you're doing any endurance activity or anything for a long period of time, you want to sort of snap to grid and zone out, right? You want to be able to yep. just get in the zone of what you're doing. And if you're painstakingly focused on, you know, where to place your foot and to get this um, rigid posture, which is not the best way to run, uh, you, you do not zone out at all. So uh, that made for a, a very uh, long, uh, you know, 31 miles after the initial break. So you did 31 miles. How long did the whole thing take? The whole thing was 40, 45 miles-ish. How many hours? 14. So in 14 hours with a busted leg, yeah, you got that thing done. Got that thing done, man. What would you have done with the leg didn't bust? Uh, I don't know. You know, had not as cool of a story. I think. Well, my, that's my that's my, <laughs> my question. Like you're you're like a story guy. Like I was. Yeah. That's what I always think about you. Like you, you do you do anything small? Um, I mean, sure. I think we all do, but I think that. Uh, you know, is there ever your desire to do it small or are you always looking for bigger, crazier things? Because like your clients, the kind of yeah. people you work with, I mean, I, I, I watched you with that thing you did with Wayne, uh, Wayne years ago. Does that make sense? Yeah. Where you showed up and I'm telling you some of the biggest internet marketers, some biggest like info marketers, some of the biggest companies in the world. Yeah. And I watched you like even just giving somebody a gift yeah. was like not a small feat. Or I got to hear like this trip that you sent everybody. You went with Fiji with the biggest marketers in the world and that was a marketing thing for you, right? That was sure. not just a, a thing. Like, do you, how do you position your brain to say like i want to think of something insane to do well because people don't rent and charter planes to go to fiji yeah. and invite their friends and have no idea how they're going to sell the tickets and figure it out later how how does your brain twist to do that yeah well i think there are two things so you hit on one kind of doing um athletic things big or okay. doing certain things big and then the other is um you know the marketing and the fun and the shock and awe and First and foremost, from an athletic perspective, and I think in general, the game is to set goals that are not so far outside of your comfort zone that they seem unrealistic, okay. but they're big enough that, um, for me, it's they're big enough that they scare me. Because when that thing scares me a little, it pushes all of my other behaviors in line, where if I do not snap to grid and try to perform at a super high level, I'm afraid I'm not gonna be able to hit it, right? Sure. So if I get the thing in front of me, like, an ultra marathon or pick another endurance feat, um, then all of a sudden I think, and it's usually constrained by time, then all of a sudden I think, shit, I could you know, have a glass of wine with dinner, I could go out tonight, but it's gonna fuck up my training tomorrow and that's gonna potentially put me at risk of not being able to execute this. Um, and athletic and, athletic and endurance things in particular are just this beautiful example of um, that that's so clear and so easy to identify, but the same principles obviously apply to business and any other area of your life, relationships, et cetera. 
Um, so it's just a good tool for me to use. So you started that. So did you always been an endurance runner? Like did you run track as a kid? Didn't. Nope. I've never liked Played running. Sports? I still think running is the devil. Uh, I made you do it. Yeah. <laughs> I made you run. <laughs> you did. Um, yeah, I have a love-hate relationship with running. Okay. I love uh, it. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't start running until I was probably 27 because of okay. a girl. She uh, got you to run? Yeah, she was like, a runner. so good at that. Like, yeah. oh, I love running. I love running. Hey, you want to run tomorrow? Like, I'm, sure. I, I love it. And you went yeah. and bought shoes that night. You had no running shoes. No. You didn't play sports as a kid? Or? Oh, I played a lot of sports. What'd you do? Um, grew up playing a lot of tennis. Okay. But soccer, basketball, baseball, I mean. Always outside. Yeah, all the things. Okay. And did yeah. you push yourself? Would you excel at that? Or? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I pushed myself, um, I think, in everything. I wanted to be good. Um, and tennis was one of the things that I ended up, you know, I ended up playing four days a week and pushing the envelope there when I was young, like, you know, 10 to 15. Uh, and I think because it's an individual sport, okay. right? So team sports, you've got a support network, you play a role. Individual sports, it's a big head game, right? Like it's all on you. And part of it being on you is that you have to get out of your head or learn how to control what's going on in your head. Got it. So like, so that was where you decided to excel. Like, did you excel better because it was an individual sport? Cause I think so. my daughter's a figure skater. Mm -hmm. I watched that goalies in hockey. That's an individual. Does that yeah. make sense? They're not playing with anyone but themselves. And I watched my daughter. And so did you perform better when it was game time? Like I always ask people this, like mm. you, you're a pretty good tennis player. Mm, yeah. Okay. So did you show up better? We call it playing up. Yeah. Like, did you better when the competition started or were you better in practice? Man, you know, it's an interesting question. It's a really interesting question. Cause my daughter's better when the lights turn on and it's yeah. performance time. She shows up double things yeah. she couldn't have done last week. So how are you uh, practice for, I just like to ask people this question. Man, it's interesting. I think it's a really good question. Uh, I think that my belief, so a, no, I think that I perform better in practice. Okay. Uh, and B, um, that I think there are two philosophies in the endurance space. One is that, you should like if you ask somebody what the what a standard regimen is to train for a marathon the most dominant um, response will be or, or protocol will be not to run a marathon before the marathon yep. but to train up train up train up to it and then when you do the marathon you, you make this jump from let's say 22 miles was your longest run and then you have rest then you do 26. that's one approach the other approach are the people that say I don't want to go into the event and have that be the first time that I'm doing that distance. I want to go in knowing that I've already done that distance a number of times. Do 35. You got it. So that this thing feels like it's easier. Which do you pick? I lean towards the latter, right? I lean towards the direction of I want to do more than it so that my mind is there because it's not my body that I'm concerned with. It's my mind, right? It's how I'm going to feel mentally through the process and whether I'm going to push or not. And I think at some point, you know, in the super elite class, yes, it is your body also, but um, for novices or people that are just trying to accomplish the goal and they're not trying to break a world record with it, and maybe even then, you know, the mindset is, it's, it's a huge part of it any way you want to slice it. What's your mindset going in? So let, let, like, what do you, what do you, how do you prepare mindset wise? And then I want to talk business stuff too, but I believe it's probably the same. I for bet sure. we're going to find, I bet if I got a piece of paper, we built an Excel sheet. What is your mindset for uh, building a big plan with business or going on a big hiring spree or, or tripling down on on what your sales are going to look like and performance and you deciding to do a bigger race probably similar what is your mindset regimen like what what like i, I don't mean like regimen I'm, i can't stand people like what is your daily routine i don't freaking know. i don't know if you have one i don't have a routine i mm -hmm. i have similar things i do on a regular basis but what do you do to prep your mind or what are some hacks that you have that are like this is how you get yourself ready 
Yeah, I think that uh, I think that um, there are a lot of things, and every endurance, every intense endurance event that I've done, I've gotten more, and I've okay. learned new things about myself. Um, and I think that that in and of itself is one. So that through all the journeys, uh, you're when you're really, really pushing yourself, that's when you learn things. Yep. Um, one of the things that has been a really big takeaway that leads me into all others. Uh, is to plan for um, and think about not necessarily the edge case, like the absolute worst. What I, how I like to explain it is like you need to think about the absolute worst and the absolute best, but you really don't need a plan for them because there are a thousand fringe cases of what could be the absolute yep. worst or absolute best. Then I pull it in and look at what's the likely worst and the likely best scenario. Those I need to really plan for. And so in the scheme of endurance, um, I need to think about, hey, it's likely that I'm going to get injured. How am I going to handle it when I get injured? Not if I get injured, but when I get injured. And depending on the distance, duration, et cetera, right? Interesting. Yeah. And so in the case of the Grand Canyon, um, uh, you know, the specific injury, who knows? But I was committed to going through the run regardless of what injury I had. And in fact, I had a wrap in my bag. Contingency. That's the fancy word we use here. Sure. I love it. Yeah. yeah. And what do you do? Yeah. Right. So, um, a, a really good, one of my, one of my favorite stories, like the, actually where I learned that for myself was years ago. Um, you me- mentioned Jesse Itzler. Yeah. So Jesse spoke at war room and I was standing in the back of the room. That's cause of Brad, drink, uh, Brad Costanzo. Oh really? Brought, like he was working with him back in the day, introduced right. him to Roland. This is crazy how that happened. So mm-hmm. keep going. It's weird how Brad gets yeah. brought into this, but yeah. Uh, Costanzo. Yeah. I, I know I usually don't interact with other Brad's. I just, yeah. it makes it easier yeah. in my life. You're like Brad who? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. You know who he is, right? It's me. Oh yeah. 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 No, I, I like him a lot. He's yeah. a great guy. <laughs> um, he, you're the only Brad here today. Hey, thank you. But he's yes. with us. Yeah. Yes. In spirit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Unimportant. Unimportant. Um, so anyway, Jesse had mentioned, I was drinking tequila in the back of the room, and I heard him mention that he had, somebody said, what's the next crazy thing you're doing? He said, oh, well, I rented a mountain, and I'm going to challenge people to climb it uh, 17 times, Everest. which would be the height equivalent yeah. of Mount Everest. Yeah. And I think I, I literally had a visceral reaction, and I was like, oh, shit. Because as soon as I heard it, I knew that that was my breed of crazy, yeah. right? So fast forward, um, I, I meet... Um, I, I'd somehow like submitted my name or something in their forum online. And I have a call scheduled with uh, Jesse's business partner, Mark. And I'm sitting at a bar in Denver at another event. Uh, again, drinking. There seems to be a theme here, but I'm drinking Manhattan's, Manhattan's this okay. time. And I'm talking to Mark and Mark and I connect immediately. And uh, just because we're that type of crazy. So we're talking and I say, so how many laps is it? And he says, it's 17 laps up the mountain. I said, okay, so how long does each lap take? He says, well, we think it takes about an hour. And I said, you, you think? And he said, well, I've done it once and Jesse's done it twice. And I was like, hold on. You've only run the mountain once and Jesse's run it twice. Three. And you're asking people to do it 17 times? And he was like, yep. And I said, okay, um, you think it takes about an hour. It's 17 laps. So how long are you going to give people to do it? And Mark says, ah, well, we're thinking 36 hours. And I said, 36 hours? And he said, uh, you think that's not long enough? In my drunk ass, I said, motherfucker, I could do that shit twice in 36 hours. And as soon as I said it, I immediately regretted it. And I thought, and before I could say anything else, Mark jumps in and he's like, oh, yeah. And I was like, well, I've had a few Manhattans. Maybe I'll tell you in the morning. 
And Mark says, or you could step the fuck up and get your foot out of your mouth. And in that instant, I had this oh shit moment. And the event was seven weeks away. So I said, okay. And for the next seven weeks, I went into intense training. Uh, and for frame of reference, um, 36 hours of exercise is a lot. Um, <laughs> and most Ironman races, uh, you know, they cut them off at 16 yeah. hours. And most Ironman regiments are a nine month training process. Seven weeks. I've got seven weeks, right? So, and I start doing like running laps up towers in Austin. And, and Austin does not have much height in terms of, uh, you know, vertical uh, mountains. So I'm running whatever hills I can, um, running laps in the buildings. I start wearing a weight vest and oxygen depri uh, deprivation mask just to do whatever I can to try to increase the tempo. So um, the long and the short is I end up doing this event and I'm running a decent clip and I'm like 23 hours in. I'm on lap, well, probably 21, 22, 23 and I'd gone all through the first night. Did anyone else plan on doing it twice? No, no, no. Just you? Yeah. And it's a known fact you're doing it? Yeah. When you got there? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Jesse announced it. Jesse did not announce it. I'm sort of like off the grid. And people are like, what the fuck is this guy doing? And I know you guys went up and down the trolley on the way down, right? So we, it's you run up the mountain and you take a gondola down. Gondola, yep. yeah, yeah. Yep. And uh, and so uh, we're, we're pushing, right? And, and I had met people, but I kind of have blinders on. Because when you do the math on this, 34, I have to do 34 laps instead of 17, and we have 36 hours. And it sounds like two hours is a big delta, but when you divide two hours over 34 laps, it's four minutes that you have extra on each lap. Oh, wow. So yeah, four minutes to spare to you know eat, drink, poop, yep. all of it, right? So I'm at every lap, I'm kind of doing the calculations in my head, and I'm figuring out how much time is left. And at about mile or, or a lap 21 or 22, and now I'm you know 21 or 22 hours into this thing, uh, I just hit a wall, like just bonk hard. And I start getting this shooting pain in my, and the shooting pain actually started probably more like lap 18, but shooting pain in my knee. And I had pain everywhere at this point, but electric. So every step I've got this, psh, 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 every step up the mountain. Wow. And I start thinking, because all you have to do in these things is think, right? Yeah. I start thinking, what if I do permanent damage to my knee? And I think that would be ridiculous. And then I go fucking fast forward through my life, right? And then I'm not, and at the time I think I was, you know, 36, 37, I'm 42 now, something like that. And I fast forward, I'm like, well, what if I'm 50 and then 60? And what if I'm 75 and I've got, I'm using a cane and I've got this knee that I've blown out. And people are like, oh, Brad, what happened to your leg? And I'm like, well, I felt like I needed to run this fucking mountain 34 times, right? And these are really rational thoughts, right? Especially when you haven't really eaten correctly, you haven't slept and you've run, you want up Everest starting once. 100%, right? So, but here's the thing. In that moment, what kept me going was that before I ever started, I had the uh, thought and the realization that not only was it okay to get hurt on this thing, but it was likely. And very shortly after I went through that loop in my head, the loop flattened out and it became the path to the finish line again because I had committed to it well before I started. You committed to possibly could get injured. Yeah. So it doesn't matter. You got it. You took all the pain out of it. You got it. That's it. That's, that's, I think that's where most business owners fail. They're so worried about failing you instead of accepting I'm going to. 
Let's mm. get that out of the way. I'm going to lose a deal. I'm going to get people are going to hurt me. All that stuff. That's interesting. So that that's a mindset shift in itself. Huge. Do you do that with everything? Huge. You don't uh, want to be negative about it. You want to be like, oh, who's going to fuck up my life today? Right. But you you have to know in business that you're going to make really dumb moves this year. Yeah. That's a given. Yeah. Do you say that to yourself? Uh, more not, now. Not an affirmation of it. Yeah. Do you just, is it part of like, oh, okay, we'll just check that off. Okay, I knew I was going to get, someone who's going to leave me this year. Got it. Knew I was going to lose a big client. This is stuff happens. Do we yeah. just, we don't look for it, but interesting. So how do you balance that? And I believe in everything you're saying right now. How do you balance that with, and I got a bunch of questions now for you. With <laughs> um, I love the ADD of this too. We're leaving you on a mountain. We left, so you finished it first. We're going to go, we finished it, right? That's great. I'll tell you the finish. I did finish it, but the finishing story is good too. So we can open loop or close. Let's it. open. Let's open loop. So the 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 question of this is, um, how do you think negatively and positively and hold both? Like, it's like a big like Alan Watts moment. I don't know if you like Alan Watts or not, but this is yeah. this big spiritual Zen Buddha moment of like, how do you hold negativity? Yeah which is truth and reality yep. and positivity, which is bullshit truth and reality in the same space and win. Yeah. Uh, for me, I think that's a really easy thing, which is um, you don't hold negativity. Okay. Um, you have the positivity and the goal and the outcome, but to not understand what you're going to do if things go sideways, it's just asinine, okay. right? You have to contingency plan. You have to look at it, but you have to be living in a space uh, where you have thought through the realistic downside, right? And I think that part of what allows me to continue to be positive is knowing that I've got the downside covered already, right? And I don't have to have actually executed on it, but I have to have thought through it. So I can keep running if I don't, if, if the negative isn't gonna stop me when I run into it. So you meet your monsters, you get to be friends with them, you get to know them, you see how they operate. So if they show up, they don't intimidate you. Uh, yeah, and I think that it can be less hyperbolic than that, right? And I think that's in some cases it that's has another to. big word. He's so good at this <laughs> Hyper, <laughs> hyperbolic top, topography. That's that's beautiful. That's, that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Um, I think in some cases it it is that big of a deal, but in others, like uh, you know, let's say that you're small and you've got one person, a small company, and you're just getting going, and you've got one person that is handling all your front end sales, and your business is dependent on that. Um, that can be a very scary situation, especially if you see the signs of that person getting ready to leave. Yep. yep. Um, until you get dialed in your hiring, right? Or you have a funnel of people that's ready to go if there's a problem. You, you need to know what you're going to do ahead of time or somehow build the confidence, have enough data points in yourself to build the confidence to say that can be handled if it comes up, right? But if you haven't run through the exercise, and when it comes up then, you have no idea what to do, that's the terrifying moment. Yes, that's interesting. I don't think enough business owners. I could do a whole, uh, I could do a whole episode. Of people on like thinking the worst case scenarios in a positive light. Yeah, that's big. So take us down the mountain. Oh, unless you want to hold it. No, it's great. So, so you're um, you're you just got over your loop. Oh, the devil's playground's not your not you're in your head anymore. Yeah, you're thinking, but you. But you, my body is failing. So body's I'm failing. You so got I'm DC at, current in your knee. Yes, yeah. I do. I do. And uh, and I I take for the first time. Was your right or left knee? It was my left knee. Okay. And for the first time, I have, uh, I, I stop on the mountain. And another mantra that I think is very important in endurance and in the rest of life is you can slow down, but don't stop. Agreed. If you give yourself permission to pause or to stop, you're going to give yourself permission to do that again. 
all you need is a data point that says this will make this easier for me in the moment and then you have a crutch and if you instead have a pattern of when i get tired i slow down instead of stopping then you always have momentum right you always keep going i've seen them with sales Oh yeah, they kick ass, then take a weekend off, and the bar, the bar steals their commission check. Hundred percent. The vacation kills their commission check. Versus, make at least a couple calls while you're on that trip. Hundred percent. A couple things. So that's big. So don't stop. Slow down. Yep. Hundred percent. And so I stopped once in that whole thing, and I stopped there <laughs> because I hit a point where I was delirious, where I was passing people on the mountain, and I would talk to them, and then I was like, Did I say that out loud? Or was that just in my head? And then I would touch my mouth and I was like, am I talking to myself out loud right now? Or is this in my head? I mean, it was really, I was, I was out there because I was, uh, the three things that you need when you're doing endurance is some training on the front end or adequate yep. training, um, mentality, right? Yep. Mindset, and I think that's the biggest one. But when you get into longer endurance, like over five hours, nutrition is huge. So it's just real deal, nutrition's a big, big part of it. So uh, my nutrition was off. And I have, that's what I have the hardest time with is nutrition. So I get to the top of the mountain and Mark sees this and somebody had called up because I had stopped on the mountain uh, and Mark grabs me by the shoulders and he looks at me and he pulls my sunglasses down and he says, are you within yourself? And I was like, I don't know what the Dude, fuck that, that means. Sense. Right, exactly. Exactly. I didn't know if he was talking gibberish or I, I couldn't figure it out in the moment. And I was like, Mark, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, but I got to go. Like I'm on the clock. And he had, he's at the, at the bottom of the mountain, um, he kind of forced me to go eat. And we had a little talk about nourishment. Um, and so that was helpful. Uh, but the next few laps were really slow. And all of a sudden, I went from being on target to hit 34. And by all of a sudden, it happened all, over the course of hours um, to being off track. And so at the end of that day, um, and they had, they forced us off the mountain at the end of that day. So at the end of that day, I'd been going for, I'd been awake for 40 hours. I'd been going for like, I don't know, almost 30 hours. Um, and I had done 24 laps. Got 10 more to go. I had 10 more to go and we only had eight hours to do it. And each lap was taking an hour. And so on the way down on that 24th lap, I did a Facebook live, uh, and I was talking about it and I was like, this no longer is mathematically possible, right? Like it just, it was taking an hour per lap. I only have eight hours left and I have 10 laps. I got the gondola ride on the downtown. And, yep. um, and I'm now exhausted, right? Yep. And I'm now, you know, 30 hours, it was probably 26 hours in or something. Uh, it was 28, 28 hours in, right? Um, and so I had all these, you know, couch warriors that were like, you can do it, you know, like don't quit. And I was like, guys, I'm, I'm not, I'm not quitting. Like it just mathematically, this doesn't, it's not possible anymore. I was like, this is just math. And two people reached out. One was uh, a friend of mine, Curtis Christofferson. Um, and the other was Cameron Harold. And Cameron left me this very long uh, voicemail with all these different possible ways to, uh, you know, like take a helicopter down the mountain in the middle of the night or try to stretch a couple extra laps in the middle of the night, or like just these different creative ways to try to get it done. And Curtis sent me a text, and I'm sure it didn't say this exactly, but basically what it said was, hey, so I know every lap is taking you an hour, but what if you could just do each lap in a half hour? And I, I kind of glanced at it, and I was like, what a fucking dick. <laughs> and I just dismissed it. It's like, what if your car was a Ferrari? Yeah, yeah, yeah right, just, just horrible. What if your Honda was a Ferrari? Yeah, so uh, I ate some food, 
and I laid down that night and I slept for about five and a half hours. And I got up at 5.45, shoveled food down uh, my throat and got to the beginning of the mountain with a headlamp on, ready to go, eight hours, 10 laps. And that text message stuck in my head. And I thought, okay, well, what if I could do one lap just as fast as I can? Let me just see what I can do with this first lap as fast as I can. And so I just fucking run. I run up the mountain. My heart is pounding. It starts to get super steep. I'm pushing as hard as I can. I'm dripping sweat. I get to the top part, which gets even steeper. I'm slipping. I'm out of breath. And I kind of like get to the top, put both of my hands on my thighs and look down at my watch. And it was 33 minutes. And I had about a fraction of a second of victory in my head. And then the rest of that second was, well, I can't fucking do that nine more times. <laughs> or again. So I took the gondola down, caught my breath, which, by the way, taking the gondola down is kind of a mixed bag because your lactic acid settles. Yep. So you cool off, yep. but you do get a break. Um, so second lap, I go up, push as hard as I can, dripping sweat, out of breath, get to the top, 31 minutes. And I had the same thought. Great. That was awesome. I can't do that eight more times. Let me see if I can do it one more time. Third lap, same thing. Fourth lap, fifth lap, sixth lap. By the sixth lap, the end of the sixth lap, I've got four left, and I'm coming down the gondola with these people that are striving to do 17 laps. And by the way, the the completion rate on this was something like 58%, right? Of just once. Of doing it 17 times. Yes. Yep. And you're headed for 34. And I'm headed for 34. And so it's the, you know, the last day there's the hours are, we're coming into the, a close. We've got like three hours left and we're coming down and I'm like, Hey, and there are three people in my gondola. And I'm like, how many laps do you have left? And somebody is like one. And then a couple of people are like two. And I kind of like just sitting there and I'm just curious cause it's nice to have somebody to talk to at this point. <laughs> and somebody says, how many do you have left? And I was like four. And they kind of all fell silent. And I was like, yeah, that kind of sounds like a lot, doesn't it? And they were all like, yeah. But I knew at that point that I was now in range, right? Now I saw the finish line. And I saw that the only thing that would keep me from doing it at that point was a debilitating injury. And so I ran up the next lap. And as I was coming down with three left, it was so clear that um, I was on target, like it was gonna happen. and. I just broke down crying by myself in the gondola, uh, which is very atypical for my character. In fact, I would like to cry more. Yeah, It's a good release, and I have a hard time doing it. And my brain immediately said, what the fuck are you crying about? <laughs> and, proud of yourself. Well, and that's what it was. Yeah. And that's so crazy that that hit you right away. For me, that was, I, like, I searched for the answer. And what it was is that I was proud of myself, is that I had found a scenario where... And the old part of you died. You were crying. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I found a scenario where I had decided that it was impossible mathematically. Yeah. And I pushed anyway. And you have two good friends that believed in you. Must send you messages. Mm. Christopherson. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I had a lot, but I had two that, that resonated, right? Yep, Cameron, yep. Yeah. And uh, yes, yeah, so that was a hell of an experience. How did it finish up? Um, so those three, you know, two, one were pretty steady. And when I got to one lap. In the 30s? Yeah, in, in the 30-minute range. And one of the things that uh, was very true was, was nutrition. So Mark, at the end of that first day when we talked about nutrition, he said, 
hey, he grabbed me again and he said, hey, so, you know, you're probably burning like a thousand calories per lap that you do. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he said, are you fueling? And I said, well, yeah. And he said, so, you know, like a banana is about 200 calories. Are you eating four bananas on each lap? And I was like, no. And he said, okay, so, you know, the protein bars are also probably about 200 calories. Yep. Are you eating four of those? And I said, no. <laughs> and I thought, okay, this is, this is real, right? And now there's a balance in endurance because when your body is, um, when your heart rate is elevated, you can only digest so many calories. And so there's, you're never going, you're always going to be operating at a deficit. You're never going to be able to actually fill the calories, but you need to get enough in, um, so that you're kind of maximizing that level. So that neck, that last day I was systematically crushing a banana and a bar and a liter of water on every lap down. And the last thing that you want to do when you're doing endurance is eat. Yep. You're just nauseous. Um, so that was a, a distinct difference. So I got to one lap left and I was actually really looking forward to having the solo lap, this Zen moment or Zen half hour. Um, but Mark, the organizer was like, oh, let me run the last one with you. Oh. And so I also, that was endearing and I hadn't spent any time with him really. Uh, and so I was like, okay, you know, sure. So we run it together and, but now we're the only people on the mountain. And so we're going up and- Did we, you slow down or speed up when he was there? It was about the same, but here's he the thing. He didn't mind going your speed? He hadn't done any <clears throat> laps, so his legs are totally fucking fresh. And this guy is also an endurance athlete. Okay. So, yeah. So he's like, you know, prancing up the mountain, and I'm... It's like Bambi, like... <laughs> totally. And I'm dying. Yeah. Uh, but smile on my face at this point. Uh, and we get to the top, and there's like three people, you know, from the event that are there. And they do have their photographer up there and take a couple of pictures. Um, but the victory was for me, you know? And so we get to the bottom of the mountain and there are eight people remaining at the event, you know, previously 150. The staff is already breaking everything down. The event is over. Um, there, those eight people are standing around the board. Jesse's down there. And uh, I have, you know, 15 minutes of conversation with them. And then I get in my rental car, drive to the airport, go home. And I'm back in the office the next day. And it's a normal day. You know? It's interesting you bring that up because a lot of us don't. How long have you been an entrepreneur? Uh, man, I mean, kind of forever. But uh, started Easy Pay Direct in 2012. Okay, so let's start right there. Um, the reason I bring that up is I don't think a lot of people that are entrepreneurs realize what you just said is our reality. Mm. You have a $100,000 day, a million dollar month, a $10 million month. You close your biggest deal ever, and then you get up and go to work again the next day. Yeah. So like there is no celebration. There is no victory lap. There is, this is why I think a lot of times the, the musicians get, get become drug addicts and stuff because they're looking for that high. Like literally you do the show, you kick ass, you do it because that's what you do. And then you get up and do it again the next day or you do something low level the next day. You got to pick up your, you got to go take your kids to school in the morning or whatever. You got to go walk your dog. You've got to go do something. So that high, like I think if everybody was down there in the mountain, and like, there was a victory parade and, and the news stations were there and everything, I might have taken the power out of it. Because mm. you might have got significance instead of like real growth and real real pride you got from it. So you got, I think, a bigger win from that than you realize. You would have loved there been a victory lap and everybody hug you and sure. tell you a great job. Did Jesse give you like, like what was that interaction? Because oh, yeah. I've met him before. He's a super like 
caring, yeah. loving human. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So Jesse, Jesse definitely gave me some love for it. And the people that were down he there. He can't, he's never done it. He could do it, but I don't. Nobody's, nobody's done it. So, yeah. you know. Yeah, you and Goggins to do it next. That'd be amazing. Uh, what's so funny? Call him out on the show. We'll tell him. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Goggins, we're coming for you. Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, I'm not, I'll watch. Yeah. <laughs> I'm game. We can do it twice again. Yeah. Uh, so I went to, I did that event again. They've continued to do it. And they actually sold okay. the event company. Um, which is awesome, uh, but it's a very cool event now. Like this was the first one; it was yep. all. Unorganized. You guys did like the rogue version of totally. it. Totally, yeah. It's much cleaner and, and more organized, and it's a very well executed event. But I went back years later and I did it once, and it had become this like I, multiple people on the way up um, throughout the course of that weekend. This last time I did it, it was which was about a year ago. Um, we're like, hey, yeah, I heard this guy did it twice once, and I was like, yeah, I heard about that. <laughs> so you didn't even tell him it was you? I selectively You were like Raza Gould and like yeah. Batman. You didn't tell anybody you were the guy. Selectively. Uh, but uh, but yeah, Jesse gave me some love for it. And then Jesse said something to me that that stuck, which was, yeah, man, there were a lot of naysayers, but you did it anyway. And I thought, there were naysayers? And he was like, oh, yeah. You didn't had a, hear him? a lot of people talking shit. Like, why is this guy doing that? Like, why, you know, what, is he trying to belittle the other people doing it twice and... Yeah, everybody had this, some other people had this narrative. And I was like, oh, I didn't hear any of them. Um, I just had my blinders on, right? I was, I had my race that I was running and that was it. And there was nothing else allowed in except my race, my metrics, my math, my body, my mind, right? My nutrition. Wow. Um, And that was a huge takeaway for me too. Well, hey guys, I want to take a quick opportunity right now and remind you that Average Sucks is not just an incredible podcast. It is a way of life. It is a way of being. And the title of my best-selling book that shows you step-by-step, I literally walk through exactly how in my life and in the lives of our incredible students, I showed them how to live an above-average life, whether it's in your business, whether it's with your finance, with your health, any area of your life that you're looking to, scream those words, Average Sucks, get to the next level, get out of your box in life, this book will show you exactly how to do it. Get your copy at AverageSucks.com or Amazon or wherever books are sold. Get your copy right away and get out there and start living a life that screams Average Sucks. Get the book. So 11 years. You've been in business 11 years. This will be 11th year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started in 12, which is endurance in itself. You and I know that most business owners, half the people we know, they start a business for a year. Like I've been in business since 2003. We started this LLC. People walk in, they're like, I, we, we own the building. We do the thing. I've been in business. I've been doing shit 20 something years, yeah. a long time. And what's interesting about it is I don't think people like half the people that we know, they have things they start for a year or two or maybe nine months and they try something and it works or doesn't switch thing else. So you've been 11 years. What is the secret for endurance and business? And you also see the financials of a lot of companies and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like where do you see they go wrong? So first you secret to endurance and business. And then you see companies like, do you see companies with that endurance much? Or do you see lots of like hopeful, wishful thinking, praying? So let's start with you. Like what's the key to endurance in a business as an owner of a company? Cause you're the primary owner. Mm-hmm. I'm okay, really you're, you're, you're like me, yeah, like, like you got it. So uh, what's the key to endurance? Um, I'll tell you that, but I wanna, I wanna uh, lay the foundation first that I think that there are a thousand different ways to run a successful business. Okay. 
And I think that I mean, be here a decade from now and been growing like you did. Your like business I'm, is so much bigger than it was even when I first met you. The yeah. type of clients you're working with, the yeah. services you're offering people, and your quality of service. Your guy, when he was calling me, I was Ian, I believe he was calling me over and over again just to get something I needed, and it was minor. And he must have called me like thirty freaking times, and he was on me because yes. I told him I said annoy me, yes. and he did it, yes. and he didn't care that he was being like on top of me, but he finally got it done. And bing, bam, boom, processing great, which is yeah. awesome. So keep at it. Yeah. So, well, I, I want to bring that up just because I, there are so many different paths and you talk about the one and two year people. There are one and two year people that fucking crush it in yep. two years. And then I love sell. those guys. Yep. Yeah. And then do something That's not else. the group I'm talking about. I know. Yeah. I know. But I, I just wanted to articulate yeah. that. Thank, so, thank you. There are the people that were smart. They have exit plans. Yes. Totally different animal. Yeah. Build it with that in mind from the beginning. Do it really quickly with other people's money, yep. et cetera. That's not the path I took, right? Yep. I've been a bootstrap, 100% person. Yep. So one of the things that has driven my uh, endurance in business is um, I had that this thought probably five years ago of what don't I sell? And when I had that thought, I have a I have a business Where, coach. What was the thought you had? That I should maybe sell the maybe company. Maybe sell. Okay, got it. Five and years do ago. something new. Okay. And I had a business coach at the t who's actually still my coach at the time. I'm like his charity case. He does like he coaches John Mackey and like okay. ex presidents and. Uh, it's hilarious that and Brad and Brad, right? The only Brad, the only Brad, <laughs> the only Brad right? Uh, but uh, but but he um, he said something to me that I think really helped, and I think it's a really good frame. And he said, "So what are you going to do, you know, uh, if you sell?" And I was like, "I don't know. I mean, probably start another company, you know, do something else to make money." I said, "Okay, well, do you think that the problems that you're having right now are going to show up in the new business?" Boom. And I thought, yeah. And he said, so you want to sell this and build an entirely new thing and then get back to the same place? Or do you want to try to figure out how to work through the problem you're having right now? Which is the problem at that moment? You know, I don't know what it was in that moment. Daily stuff. It, yeah, hiring, I sales, I, leads, It's always anything, something, something, right? Yeah. But whatever, whatever issue you're having currently in your life, um, you are the most equipped to handle it that you've ever been in your life, right? At that moment. At that moment, right? Okay. And certainly you can be more equipped as you learn, grow, develop to be a better person. But at that moment, um, you're, you're teed up. So in business, you've built this engine, this machine, and if you've got a bottleneck that you can't seem to work through, um, you're going to, it's, it's not a, it's a persistent thing. It's not just gonna disappear if you sell and recreate something new. You got to figure out how to fix it. So I made a choice then to use this company as my experiment, my opportunity wow. to learn and grow through the different areas of business. And hiring historically has been a difficult one for me. So learning kind of the mechanisms to hire, um, what to look for, um, personality profiling, shit, like all the stuff that you really are very good at probably. <laughs> um, but that was, uh, that, that's that been one of them, right? But I think whether it's sales or marketing or operations and hiring or um, tax planning or whatever, um, you can deal with it now or later. But if you want to grow, you're going to have to deal with it at some point. So you can't hide from it by switching companies or switching names, LLCs, selling something. You may get a big buyout one day, something, but then you start the next company, you got the same issues again. Yeah, you're always going to have that deficiency until you tackle it. Okay, which ones, what are you working on now? I think I'm persistently working on hiring and leadership. Okay. Um, those are super important. Uh, hiring leadership or your leadership and hiring? Mm, whoa, really good differentiation. Yeah. Uh, both. So okay. I think hiring leadership is different than hiring uh, 
and leading people, right? But hiring uh, sort of uh, mechanics in your business versus directors versus C-level execs. Interesting. Are all different things. I had a Mike, you know, do you you know Mike RC? No. Mike, uh, the other day I was at his event, he was one of Cameron's clients for years, Mm. and he said something to me the other day, difference between management and leadership. And he goes, most, Leaders should never be managing people. Mm. They should never be teaching in the trenches. They should be leading like like a, like a pastor, like just giving a couple ideas. And then there's people that manage that their job is not to lead. It's like to manage the behaviors. I had no idea about that concept. I'm more of a leader than a manager. Mm. The last thing in the world I should be doing is getting in the business of the people. Right. I should be leading, showing vision. I should be right. talking, like telling stories like you're so great at. You're probably a better leader than a manager. 100%. And if you find yourself in management, you're in the wrong bathroom. You Does that make it. sense? Yeah. And you're going to create a shit storm and you're gonna make a mess so I, I it's interesting that you bring that up and that's one of the things I'm working on right now got it that seems like management and I'm gonna get let someone else manage that yeah so I had a I had a Javon McCormick who is the CEO of scribe I freaking love him he's awesome I mean that's we he's could do a whole episode I gotta get him on the show I mean, yeah, that, he's that, amazing. I got a story about him blow your mind well so I had him on uh, uh, my podcast is beyond a million yep so I had him on beyond a million and one one of the things that came up is he was brought into Scribe, which is our mutual friend, yep. Tucker Mack, yep. started the company yep. with Zach O'Bron. Yep. They, they um, did our book. Oh, yeah. did they? Yeah. Oh, amazing. We sold a ton of copies of that thing. Amazing. Yeah. So Javon was brought in because Tucker realized that he was the CEO and he needed a real CEO, is how Tucker says it. Yes. And one of the reasons is that he said, I used to do what's called seagull management. And I was like, <laughs> what's seagull management? He was like, well, I just would fly in and shit on people and then leave. And I was like, oh. Yeah, I'm familiar with that. The Tucker and I are very similar. Oh, yeah. yeah, you do that too. But that's part that's part of our that's part of our salesman mentality. We're we're salesmen that started a business. Yeah, totally. 100%. And it's not like a negative, it's positive. It's like the number one skill people need, like in Ready Fire Aim, is like you better sell. If you can't sell, you're fucked. Your business is done. It's 100%. over. Can't make it work. So at least we've got that number one skill down. Yes. But I think think we don't maybe we need there's maturity past that, that 100 but the, but that is how we solve things yep. because if we got a problem we solve we sell we got our sales are down we sell um we got to hire we sell we even sell people in interviews definitely and that's our problem definitely and we oversell seagull management that's that's really i like that it's hilarious i love that so so what do you see so it's not like you're in people's business but you're you're, you're seeing what's going on so like do you come across because I, I know i'll one of the things I, I know you don't know if you do this but indirectly is you're i would call it less of a merchant processing that that's a thing that you do but more of like counseling coaching and helping business owners you know develop their business to what they're capable of being not officially coaching them but giving them guidance and different things along the way making recommendations to people so my Along the way, like, what are some of the things you see that if someone would stop it, they have the chance of being in business five, 10 years down the road? You're right. We get to see the financials behind businesses. So it's that's actually been one of the most valuable uh, things about Easy Pay Direct for me, about my business journey, is the ability to understand other businesses. And I think that one of the big takeaways for most entrepreneurs should be, how is this going to help me in the rest of my life? Hmm. So whatever journey you're on currently in business, some people have a business for their whole adult life, right? And it's one business. Some people uh, have a business for two years and roll in the next one. Uh, But you don't always have control over that, right? Depending on the industry you're in, what's going on, the contingency plan is what happens if this goes away. And so for me, relationships and lessons from the business are the persistent elements. So I wanna look at, the relationship thing is huge, and we talk about that a lot. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so what relationships are going to exist when this business is gone or when I do the next thing? But the other is how much can I learn about our clients and how their businesses work? And now for Easy Pay Direct, we have to learn about it because that's how we help the business. Um, but it's so, so, so good to look at a company. Like before we started, we were talking about um, a T-shirt company. Yep. Yep. And uh, how what the economics of a T-shirt company are seems good on paper. Like we did nine thousand T-shirts today. You know, we did ninety thousand this month. Yeah, you made nine bucks. Exactly right. But but I wouldn't know that. Yep. Unless we were looking at the financials for these companies. So it's super cool to be able to I think uh, dive through that stuff. Interesting. So you learn more about your company helping these companies. Oh, so it's 100%. a total win-win. Totally. So it's a relationship. Yeah, definitely. And we get to see you know some of the kind of whiz bang marketing tactics that are working for them yep. or sales tactics or tools that they use or resources that they use. I mean, it's, it's never ending. Um, if you're paying attention. Yep. Which most people, they're not paying attention. They're, they're, they are paying attention. Actually, everyone's paying attention all the time. Question is to what, right? So mm -hmm. I think we're always paying attention. It's like you on the mountain. It's like, we're always thinking something. We never mm -hmm. don't have a thought. We're confident in something. I think people are very confident that they're not confident sometimes mm -hmm. and they're just using it incorrectly which is uh, its own fascinating point itself. So this is, this is like, this is fascinating. My brain is gonna like analyze all of this for the next couple hours after you're <laughs> on the plane and you're headed back to Austin, you go back to Austin. Going back to go Austin. Go back to Austin is yep. that, uh, and you said to me something yesterday, I said, hey dude, like, um, like, let me know if you're coming to town next time. You're like, I'm screwed one way or the other. You're like, if I call you in advance, you can tell me you're busy. If I call you <laughs> day of, you might say you're busy, but you got a better chance for fitting me in. How does that relate to sales and in this in the sales mm. cycle these days? Because I wanted to pick your brain on that because you did not tell me. And I did it to you too. I, after I said it to you, I'm like, damn it, Michael, you did that last time. I'm sitting in Austin at, um, at like 5 o'clock. I'm like, what are you doing tonight? I did this to you when I was in Austin oh, yeah, last time. Totally. I, did, I, I did it to you Hilarious. and I didn't mean it. And then I told you you did it to me. So that was my, uh, that was my reflecting my own life on you. <laughs> but how do you find that like – from a sales perspective these days, because back in the old days with Cutco and stuff, and I know very much about your business model, I've even trained some of those guys, is we'd call you a week in advance, we'd book an appointment, we'd go in, you do your thing, like all that. How are you finding booking people and scheduling times with them versus like being spontaneous with people these days in a very reals culture? Yeah. Do you get the question I'm asking? Like yeah. your people, your sales team, everything versus calling and being spontaneous and going, hey, do you have time now or in like an hour or two hours versus like booking a week out? What do you feel is working in business? I don't know anyone's ever asked that question. So no. you're going to be the answer. You're going to be the answer. E. Well, here's, I think, first off. Answer or. First off, it depends who you're selling to. Okay. So if I, when I it's look like at booking, like I'm talking trade show, you generated leads, you're calling people. I heard you. Yep. I heard you. But here's yep. the thing. When you look at sales, selling to Mrs. Jones is very different than selling to me. Got it. Okay, right? got it. Yeah. So Mrs. Jones' schedule is going to be necessarily different than an entrepreneur's schedule. Got it. Their ability to schedule a time or pick up on the fly is going to be different. The tools that they use are going to be different. Right? If you want to get into my world, you've got two options. One is somehow you've got my cell phone. The other is that you get on my calendar. Right? And okay. even people that I want to be talking to... Those are the mechanisms that you have to contend with and fight with because there's too much noise. So for us, we're selling B2B, right? Um, and so we could dive down this, the sales rabbit hole of the type of sale, et cetera. But yep. I think the first, like you mentioned, is attention. Yep. And everybody's got their attention on something. It's just a question of what. what? And so how do you get in and steal some of that attention? Um, my thought is, one, you have to be where they are. You can't try to force them into a tool that they're not using, right? So if their communication mechanism is text or DM, that's yep. where you're going to meet them. Or if it's email or if it's phone call, that's where you're going to meet How them. How do you find that out? 
Because when people DM me, they may get a hold of me, but it drives me nuts. Yeah, try and fail. And, okay. you know, another one is uh, sending calendar invites. That shit pisses me off to no end. I hate it. You so if you told me, get on my calendar, I'm like, is that our age? Is that our, I mean, I hate it. Do you? <laughs> I hate it too. Dude, get on my calendar. I'm like, I'll, I'll do that oh. with you to book a podcast. Got it. But if you book me like, hey, dude, get on my calendar. Oh, yeah. Book a time with me. Do you like that? So... I'll give you some thoughts on this. One, everything's in my calendar. Almost everything. I appreciate that. Yeah, but but two, it depends how. If you send me a link and you say, click through this link and fill out a form to have the privilege of being on my calendar, go fuck yourself. Yeah, I'm out. Yeah, me too. But here's the, here's the easy way to do it. And there are only a few tools that do this now, and they're start all the calendar tools are starting to do this. Um, some of them have uh, an option where you can send out like a button inside of the email, okay. and it's a one-click set. So you pick a time, 3.30, Tuesday. Got it. Hey, I want to, here, here are some times that I'm available. One click to set. And that's like a key line for me in those. One so you're saying I don't set. have to put my name and my email and Nothing. all that stuff. Just fucking click the button. Tell me when. And then it's good. It's on both our calendars. Got it. So it says like got your 3.30, 30, 5.30, 8.30, click one of them, I'm in. You got it. Who does that? Uh, HubSpot does it now. HubSpot, okay. It's, it's in beta for them. Write so down, HubSpot. Yeah, yeah, it may okay. not be available to everybody. Um, we used another tool in the past that did, I think it was Yesware. Got it. Yes, where was another that did it? Uh, but to me, that is the only way. If I'm selling something, I am never using a link to ask that person to go fill out a form no. to have the privilege of talking to me. No. It's one click to set, and that's it. Um, HubSpot actually also, they don't allow it in, in their text platform, but they do have the ability to tap into your calendar links in your text. Again, I'm not sending somebody a link to book. Now, I'm in a position, you're in a position, where often people are trying to get the time on my yep. calendar, right? I will give them a link. And they say, get a link and they got to fill that thing out. You got it. Because that's I don't a care that much. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah, if you want If you're willing to go through that, you must have something important to you talk got to it. me about. You got it. Yeah, and maybe you don't, but at least it's another hoop, right? That is interesting. I, yeah, I, so I, the one click, big, right? And then the other is, is somebody a text person or a DM person or are they an email or phone person, right? And, and I don't, I, for, for us, that's a figure it out. Right. Okay. So how do you do it with your sales guys? Because like I don't love our guys um, always just texting right off the bat. Does yep. that make sense? Because mm-hmm. it's it's personal space. I think text is personal. I think phone is pretty personal. Emails not that personal. Yep. Um, how do you do? You just let them do whatever is going to work to get a hold of them. The reason I'm asking that is like how much should that we were going to have a meeting with HR even on this? Like because ten years ago, if you would have used your personal phone to text somebody totally it was inappropriate totally. does that make sense you send yeah. a message at eight o'clock at night yep. from a guy sending it to it's it, it bad for business you know yep. that a husband calls back why you texted my do you know what i'm saying blah yep. blah blah so what do you what do you what is uh, your company's policy on that well i think uh, my first statement is super super important it depends who your target market okay. is right i think that's correct if you are uh in a retail environment trying to sell mrs jones a handbag okay probably inappropriate specifically if you're a young guy exactly. texting mrs jones at seven o'clock at yeah, night exactly. about her handbag um, but for us if you're texting an entrepreneur about you know adjusting their financial structure or their marketing technology or pick something you sell to an entrepreneur look i'm busy and if i have to be the decision maker on it i'm the one that's interacting with Text them me. yeah Okay. You and you might and by the way, I still don't want to do business via text, but I end up doing it because that's where I have to meet people sometimes, right? So if I want to get on your calendar, there was no chance of us doing this today. 
if I didn't text you? Yep. None. You could have texted or called, though. It's always going to happen. You text or called. me, I would have lost it in my inbox. No, email would never get through. Never I get know through. this from experience with my team trying to pin your ass down. Yes. Yes. You got to text me. <laughs> and so that's what, I, that's what I told them. And that's what I told Ian. I said, text him. Yep. Right? Text him, call him, whatever. Get a yep. hold of him. But so for us, it's we, we have protocol on the front end when anybody starts. And it's call, text, email. Um, actually, it's text, call, email. And the text reason. Text first. Yep. Then call. Then email. If it's someone that wants to talk to you. Right. If Meaning it's a they've lead, opted if they've opted in, you, got it. you met him at an event, here, call me, that kind of thing. You got it. Text, call, email. Why do you think we text first? Because it's it's the most receptive. I remember Randy Garner was explaining this back with Scipio back in the day. More people <clears> pick up their, their text than anything. Yeah, yes. And the other is that when you text somebody um, your name and then you call them, what, shows does, up. what does Apple do? It, it shows up. It says maybe Brad. Yep. Right? The Brad. Yeah. Yeah, the Brad. Yeah. Say maybe Brad Weimert, right? Yep. And the answer rate on those phone calls is radically higher than if you just call blind and only a number shows up. Got it. So if you text from an iPhone to an iPhone, which is about 80% You text of people, anywhere to an iPhone. Got it. Right? Anywhere to an iPhone, and in the message you say, hey, this it's is Brad. Brad Weimert. I suggest you use your name and not Brad Weimert, but. <laughs> I can do it. You make more business. Everybody, everybody <laughs> say you're Brad Weimert. Um, I love that. I love yeah. that. that. That's a big aha. Huge. It's a huge, if you're not doing that, it's a huge trick that will increase your pickup rate on calls. And, and that should be really logical to everybody, right? So how, text, how often do you pick up a phone number you don't know, you know versus if it says, maybe this person? Wow. Immediately you think, who's that You person? just have to include, hey, it's Brad in the thing and then Apple the body the AIs message. it. And um, wow. Okay. Well, there you go. That's, yep. uh, that's a hack. That's not even a hack. That's a, that's a strategy that's necessary. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. That's like in tennis, like pointing where you want the ball to go. You yeah. Know what I'm saying that's going to, oh, it's following through. Wow. Okay. And the email's last resort. By the time you get to email, you know, you're pretty much, that's not going to happen. Correct. And it again depends. Now we want all because some people are just more responsive there. Okay. And sometimes you'll get people via text that say, Hey, um, send me an email or keep it an email. And the other thing about email is maybe somebody else monitors that box also, right? Maybe yep, assistant. the assistant's going to jump yep. in and handle it quicker than the entrepreneur. I freaking love it. Yeah. For That's me, huge. when I do get texts that are business related, I'm pushing it back to email right away. Because for me, text, it's totally dependent on me. Maybe I can loop in another te- uh, another person via text, but um, all of our automation is reliant on our internal emails, right? That's how it gets logged into the CRM, into our platform, into our backend. It's where the tracking happens, et cetera. And we definitely have text automation, uh, but it's a terrible interface for, for me to run the company. Yeah, yeah. No, of course. So meet the client where they have to be. Um, and, uh, and then we're going to, we're going to try to get it into frame if we can. Oh dude, that, that right there, that right there is gold. Like I can't wait to cut that piece up and just put that out and just that alone. That's huge. You teaching that to people mm. outside your company? No, just the team. I'm just going to tell you point blank. That would be one of those like 10 minute talks. Like, you know, Joe has with genius network or yeah. like a, like one of the masterminds you're in. That is a, that is a talk. I love that. That is huge. And it only helps people. It's not like, you, oh, you're pulling the Brad Weimer technique on me. It's like people actually will appreciate it because I think they do want to talk to you. I think yeah. they do want to pick up. They're busy. Yeah. And I think that that's the biggest thing. So what have you found different? A few more questions and I'll, I'll let you go get on your flight and stuff and do your thing. What is the biggest things you've learned in business these days Like that's different like 10 years ago? So let's, 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 let's start. Actually, let's re- rephrase this question. 20-something years ago, you're selling mm. knives. Mm. The difference between business 20 years ago when you started and now in the marketplace or in your life? Like how do you see business and how's the marketplace different? Um, well, 
uh, I want to close the loop on that on that sales. What I you want just to said. Down the mountain, yeah. yeah. Well, what you said about sales, I want to close the loop on yep. that because you said I think people do want to talk to you, and I think that the the probably the single most significant thing that uh, probably newer salespeople, but salespeople in general need to know is first off, you have to have a good product, but more than that, you need to be convicted in your product. And if you are truly convicted in your product or service, this will come logically and naturally, but you have to believe that the person that you're soliciting, the person that you're calling is better off with the product than without it. And if you believe that, then the extra call, the extra text, the extra email doesn't feel annoying to you. It feels necessary. Got it. Right? And you have to realize also that it is your job to make that interruption pleasant and entertaining because everybody likes an entertaining interruption. It's the annoying interruptions we don't like. Got it. Right? Yep. If your favorite person um, comes into the room and you're doing the most important thing you could possibly be doing in life, but it's your favorite person, you're still going to have a smile on your face with that interruption, even though they're interrupting this the, the most significant thing you could be doing with your time, right? So we're interrupting people, salespeople. Absolutely. 100%, we gotta look yeah. at it that way. You're interrupting people, so you need to be entertaining, engaging, and have value. You got it. And not try to sell them something. You got it, yeah. So what are your techniques you teach your people to do that? Well, I think that you can still be trying to sell them something. And yeah, I, of, co of course, but if you come across like, hey dude, did you uh, get your merchant account today? That's not gonna get them. Like, what would be entertaining? Well, entertaining is an interesting one. I think that's contextual, and I think there are some cool tools out there right now, like Mention, Okay. Um, mentioned, I think it's just mentioned.com, but it's an alert. It's like a Google alert that okay. shows you um, activity around a keyword, right? And so you can set those things and say, hey, give me um, Michael Burnoff as uh, a, keyword. a keyword. Anytime Michael Burnoff pops up, send me an email, right? Then I have fuel for that conversation. And I can say, hey. It's like a Google alert reverse. Yeah, Michael, look, I just saw. That you were in Bahamas or something You got like that. it. That you dropped this book or you were with this person. It gives you something to talk about that's relevant to Michael, right? Instead of, hey, man, can you give me that fucking statement that we're still waiting on? Yep. You know? Oh, dude, you've been there. You've been here. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. Dude, I love that. Yeah. Something that, else, right? That's, that's big. Yeah. So, so wow. Okay. Well, that's, that's a tool we didn't have. So 20 years ago, you didn't have that knocking on a door. No, man. So, different then. Different a decade ago and different. I don't know the exact answer. I just love to like yeah. go on the journey with this because I look back and it's like, dude, nobody was distracted 20 years ago. I mean, there was no, dude, we started, there was very little internet. You know, yeah. there was, people did not get, leave an appointment with you and then go get on Netflix and go watch a documentary about your services, stuff like that. There was yeah. no easy access to competition. What was different back then? Well, for uh, so for me, the uh, we could talk about it just in terms of like the time, but I think the other thing, uh, that hits me all the time is I was selling B2C, tangible, really short sales cycle. Yes. Right? So I was selling knives at a kitchen counter, and I was going to close you right then. And if oh, you yeah. didn't buy it right then, never I was never talking you. to you again. Yep. <laughs> ever. Right? Yep. I had three people ever while I sold Cutco, and I was the uh, at one point the number one rep in the company. Yep. Three people ever call me back and order stuff that didn't order in that moment. And that's probably because someone else sold them later on and they realize they needed it, right? Who well, knows? Like maybe that, that, I think part of it though is with a with a tangible sale in particular, but with any sale, um, people remember the bullet points and the feeling in the moment. Yep. And within twenty four hours they lose half of it. I think maybe twenty minutes these days. I right. mean it's like literally I'll I'll watch an event, I'll go speak, everybody wants to buy and the guy comes up and wants to talk for 10, 15 minutes after I make my offer. And I will tell you that half the 
half that energy gone. is gone in like three minutes. Yeah. It's like that these days. Yeah. And so that was part so of three my... three people out of thousands of presentations, right? You got it. Wow. Yep. Okay, you interesting. And so then I moved into the exact opposite sale. B2B, I'm yep. not selling to Mrs. Jones, I'm selling to you. Yep. B2B, intangible. I don't have a pretty object I can show you Doesn't how well exist. it works. Yep. Yeah, yep. It's, just, it's just words, yep. right? Long cycle. You don't, even, you don't even see the result of it for 30, 60, 90 days after you we started it. the conversation. You got it. We had to pretend. We're playing make-believe. Totally. Like we're playing never-ending story, magical stuff. <laughs> yeah. I met a dog the other day that was just like, what's that dog's name? Never-ending story? Falcor. Falcor. Yeah, totally. Yeah. The, luck, the luck dragon. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was great. Uh, yeah, so I think about that stuff. But the, the lesson for me over time, one of them has been uh, in business, relationships persist. Yep. Right? And that idea of I'm going to close you on the spot, look, that you can you can build that way, you can sell that way, that's fine. But life is long. And in a lot of ways it feels short, especially as you get older, but life is long. And things that you do now, um, you, you want to set future Brad up for success, yep. right? I want to set future Brad up for success. And relationships are the key to that. Uh, for sure. So there's no real relationship in that real hard pitch close. I mean, that's right. not a, that's not a, some of those people may send you a few friends, but those people you're not talking to anymore. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and one of the, one of the games that I needed to learn was, and we talked about this earlier being the pleasant interruption yep. is uh, how to handle the objection to close now without being a dick and without being willing to walk away and never talk to him again. Right. Cause you still want to know, Hey, look, if you make this choice six months from now, I'll be here, come back yep. to me. And you still want to keep that door open, but be able to close hard enough in the moment to get it done. Yes. Right. And so I think the, the one of the functional ways to do that is empathy, is being able to figure out what is it uh, for them that makes sense for them to do it right now. And for us in uh, merchant services, which in a lot of ways, you know, getting set up the right way could just be insurance. Right. It's making sure that you don't have a problem in the future. Um, and we've got to collect documents when people get set up because we underwrite their account, right? So can we get the last three months of your bank statements and processing statements? And that is a barrier sometimes. And entrepreneurs are like, I'm fucking busy. You know, like, hey, I'll just call you back and I'll do it. And the response in that moment is, you can, it's totally on your clock, but I can tell you from experience, this can turn into a pain in the ass. And the yep. last thing I want it to do is be a pain in the ass for you. If we can knock it out right now while we're on the phone, It'll be off your table forever and we can do everything else. That's huge. Right? But you have to give them, you have to allow them to feel the discomfort and pain and understand why it makes sense for them to do it right now. So I don't know if this is even like the evolution of like your business or just my, or the world of business. It may just be the evolution of what you went through. So you went from just quick, I need to eat to I'm building a long-term solution for my life. Oh, yeah. Well, I think it's just, the, I think it's the, the gap between the two different types of sales, right? It's yep. a big part of it. Um, but certainly the realization of relationships being more important than everything else is huge. So even within that, there are times when I'll get to the end of the sales cycle and realize that I didn't close, or I'll realize that in fact, uh, it's not the best fit, right? This isn't the ideal client fit. And I'll say, you know what, maybe you should do something else right now. Let us know if we can help in the future. Or if there's anything else we can do together, great. That's big. 
it's that's a huge deal. Really big. And having the courage and getting your business in a place. So would you recommend that to the new guy getting started? Guy just starts, let's just say, I don't want to call it a competitor because nobody's a competitor. I think we all swap, share business from time to time. If someone else needs to educate people on what a merchant account is, and then one day you get across them. And those are better, right? Yeah. You'd rather someone have already been with somebody prior to you, correct? Yeah. Rather than starting from the beginning. So my question is, some new guy's getting started and uh, all he's left out with is a phone book or Google to go generate leads. Would you recommend that they go through the evolution of, because I've always just trained people, we gotta go through the, what we'd call the Cutco stage, we gotta go do the hard close, mm -hmm. and then we're gonna learn how to play the long game. Do you believe that that's the evolution, even when you bring people in, let's do fast and long cycle, or do you bring, mm. would you recommend people start long cycle in mind? Um, I think it depends on the outcome that you're after, right? If you wanna be very good at selling a product, um, I think you go narrow in your approach to selling a product, okay. and you just say, uh, what what do I have to do to get the one pitch down with the one avatar, right? With the one sales cycle. Um, somebody told me a long time ago that um, little kids sell, big kids sort. And the mentality there was that you wanna find the ideal prospect and work on selling them, not just go out and try to sell everybody. That's huge. And so sorting through it and finding the people that are likely to buy and another way to say that is that are the right fit, right? Yep. That are actually the, the ICP, right? The ideal client profile. Um, that's what you want to go after. And then I think if you go up another level, you look at how do you market effectively to find those people? And you go up another level and you say, how do I create the ideal product and client experience so that it pulls people all the way through it, regardless of marketing and sales, because the product's so fucking good that people just talk about it. Got it. Give me those steps one more time. So the first step is selling, selling, and right. then marketing to then the people you're selling to, and then it is just product design. Product design, design your product in a way. Once you find your ideal client, is what does that person want? Yeah, and so and make exactly what they want, so you don't have to. Uh, and we know the we know the product companies that do this, right? Yes. This is fucking Apple. Yep. Right. Yep. They, they don't. Keep on, oh, they're spending more time making the thing exactly what we want versus having to sell us. You got it. They know exactly. Once they figure out exactly who we were, they spent a long time figuring out who we are. That, that's a good evolution. I like that. Yeah. So, so with you, um, what is the the best? Like people listening to this right now, they're like, okay, I like this guy. A couple of things I'll, I'll throw out there for you. Number one is, I've worked with a lot of people that it would be really cool. They're entrepreneurs. It would be interesting if you came and told this story that you just told on stage. I know you're not a speaker talker like this all the time, but you're not against it either. No, I like so, to. I like to um, talk. I want to throw this out there because I have a lot yeah. of clients that run big gym organizations, all like speaking for companies. There's people watching this right now. They're in high performance athletes, stuff like that. How does someone get a hold of you about talking and then eventually sharing what you do? Uh, what about getting a hold of you, like figuring out like what's the best of your team or admin, who, who's the best person to talk to if they, because I'm telling you, people are gonna watch this <clears throat> and they're gonna be like, I want to tell that story to our people, be in our podcast, stuff like that. How would you um, connect with you? The other big facet from a business perspective is Beyond a Million. Okay. And you could I love that. Google me and go to yep. bradweimer.com, but Beyond a Million is the podcast. It's a great podcast. I was on the show. Was you were. The guests were fantastic. It's, an, it's, it's a blast. Yep. And it, Beyond a Million is eight, nine, ten-figure entrepreneurs. Yep. The sales, marketing, operations, technology, and tax tactics and strategies. Okay. That they're using right now. What's the best show? That what's one of those on there? That and I'm not sitting in front of you, but like that would recommend to somebody. What's a tax strategy show? Who's who's someone you had on? Because it's important. Send them there right now. Give them a little direction. Like where would they? Um, yeah. So they I'll, go I'll, to iTunes. Which show should they like absolutely listen to? So uh, Roland Frazier was just on. I, I think we just dropped his episode last week. Okay. Um, Jason Fladlian was Genius. on very early. That's a really heavy strategy and tactic uh, episode. 
on marketing. Yep. So Roland is on kind of business building operations and acquisitions. Jason is on marketing. Um, and I think we're just about to drop an episode this week with uh, Scott Ryan, who has raised something like $163 million for his last fund. And he runs a family office. And so they wow. invest in companies and grow them for a return for the peop for that 163 million for the people that have given him money. But if you don't know anything about family offices or investing in funds or how they work or getting money from private equity, yep. it's a really cool episode because it kind of breaks down the elements of that whole side of things. And look, if you're a bootstrap entrepreneur and never touched money, or if you're a funded entrepreneur, it's a really relevant episode yep. because for me, like I don't intend to take money now, but who knows I might in the future. And I have a, a general philosophy that I don't want to spend a ton of time and energy going down a huge rabbit hole if it's not pertinent to me in the moment. But I still want to ingest enough of the sur sur surface level information so that when I get to that time, I'm not just a total dummy, right? Love it. Like I have some Love it. So you have a, you have a target. It. You have a target of where you're headed. Yeah. So um, iTunes, Spotify, everything? Uh, yeah. Which get yeah. you on Beyond a million. Yeah. Search for it or go to beyondamillion.com. And we're starting to, we actually we record all of them on video. Okay. So the YouTube channel's uh, great. The studio's great. It's awesome. It's I, We just rebuilt a new one. So okay. just bought a new office building and nice. built a new one. Yeah, Good yeah. for you. Yeah, super fun. Always, always making progress, man. So proud of you, man. Great work. You've been doing some great stuff. And, uh, Appreciate it, man. Likewise. Kick it smash. Be proud of yourself. And I'll tell you, I'm, ready for, I'm not ready for a run today with you. But uh, I know you got to hit, hit where you're going. But we get soon. I'll be out to Austin. Love it, man. I right, appreciate you. you. Lots. You too. Well, thanks for joining us for The Average Sucks Show. And the big question people ask is like, Michael, what is next? And the answer is simple. Get Average Sucks, my brand new book. And the reason why I want you to have this is if there's things you want in your life and for some reason you've said to yourself, why am I holding back? Why am I not getting what I want? I know I'm capable of more. This book answers all of that and more. So go to averagesucks.com. Check out all the other stuff on the page. Got a bunch of bonuses for you. Get the book, read the book. And most importantly, follow the instructions. They're very simple. You'll finish this little book in, uh, in a couple hours. Real easy to read. And it's going to start showing you how to get more of what you want in this world. So averagesucks.com and catch us on the next Average Sucks Show.